following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Now that you can all hear me, (laughs) my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Canyon Ridge Church, and I am excited to start a new series. I'm always excited, but I'm really excited for this because this one is on joy, developing a life, true life of joy. It's from Philippians. We're going through the book of Philippians, and it is, it is very exciting. I want to reiterate some of the things that Andrew said, just that, um, one, it, with, hosp- with guest services, we also have things if you're not a people person. Like, maybe you're like, I really don't like people, but I know God is calling me to serve, and I really don't want to do that. Well, there's things you can do in there that you don't have to be a people person to do. So, um, really be coming to that. That would be really cool. That would be an exciting thing to be a part of. But back to the book of Philippians. We're going through the book of Philippians, and it's a book on joy. We're going to be talking about joy from a biblical perspective. How do we have joy? Because it feels like we are lacking joy in our lives. And I want to start just right out of the gate, kind of give you one of the things that I think is the source of joy. I think it's really relationships. Relationships are a source of joy, but with relationships, like I said, we struggle with that. And one of the things, I did some studying this week, one of the things that stop us is just the sense of of isolation that we experience in our culture. And so I had some stats because I wanted to show you after studying this that loneliness is epidemic in our society. It's I mean if the CDC came in they would give a all out like call and evacuate cities because loneliness is there and we need to inoculate everybody against loneliness. I mean I think it's to that extent and There was a book that was written by Robert Putnam, who's a a Harvard business professor, and he did this this survey um, of of kind of the stats and and studied. He surveyed people. He asked people. He studied data from the years 1950 to 2000, and he came up with some of these stats. He said that playing cards together is down 25%. Now, we know playing cards is not about playing cards. It's about... Friendship, it's about hanging out with people. And he said an evening with the neighbors is down 33%. Uh, Jesus told us to love our neighbors. Most of us don't even know our neighbors' names. It's like, that's weird guy, that's cat lady, that's medical marijuana guy. And we kind of like, like that's, how we know, that's how we know our neighbors. And it's like all those different things. We don't actually know, know our neighbors' names. But Jesus called us to love our neighbors. And um, I, I, one time, like, was, when I was living in a different place, asked my neighbors to come over, and they, they like, looked at me weird. It's like, like, do you sell Amway? Are you, are you, like, a Jehovah's Witness? And are you, like, going to, like, kill me, eat me, and stuff part of me in the fridge? Like, what is going on here? Because people aren't used to people loving their neighbors, to people actually talking to their neighbors. And so there's this distrust in our society. So an evening with the neighbors is down 33%. Family dinners are down 33%. Uh, most of us, we, we get order dinner prepared by a high school kid through a clown face, kind of shoved in through a car window before we're off to the next sports event or next meeting or next whatever we're at. And, and so 
Our, our dinners, family dinners are down. Having friends are down 45%. I mean, how many people in here that they haven't had anybody over in their house for the past couple months? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. You haven't been over to a friend's house for a couple months. I'm, I'm not talking about like parties where we go get drunk and we break commandments. Like I'm talking about just grabbing a bite to eat, you know, hanging out with the guys, what, paying for the ultimate fight, you know, things Jesus would do, those types of things, hanging out with each other. Um, it says the readiness of Americans to make new friends is down 33%. How they figured all this stuff out, I don't know, but it, He's from Harvard. He sounds like a good guy. He sounds professional. And um, so readiness to make new friends is down 33%. In other words, everybody shows up and they're like, we're at the party and everybody's there and everybody's too awkward to talk to each other because no one wants to take the first step. So we all come longing for friendship at the party, but no one wants to take the first step. So we all leave disappointed and we all just kind of stared at each other the whole time. And this is this is kind of what's happening. There was another study that was done by the American Sociolo- Sociological Review, and it says that the average American has only two close friends, which is down from three since 1985. I guess they, the, I don't know what happened to the third guy, I guess he got boated off the island or something, but he's not there anymore. But it, you think about it, there's billions and billions of people in the world, and only two of them like you? Like, what is wrong with this picture? And it says 25% of Americans have no one to confide in, that they don't have anybody to confide in. You know, part of this one, um, the rise in counseling. There's been a rise in counseling over this time, and counseling is a great, great profession. But some of the things that happen in counseling could be prevented by people just having friends to be able to share some things with. It says 80% of Americans only confide in family members. In other words, they don't have anybody else to confide in besides their family members. And sometimes, if it's something about the family members, then that can either split the family or they just don't confide in anyone. So here's all these things showing that the struggle is real. That there really is an epidemic of loneliness in our society. And, And why is that? Where does that come from? Why do we struggle so much with that? Well, I believe it all stems back to the first chapter of the first book of the Bible in Genesis. It says that um, God, let, said, God said, let us create man. And so in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, God created them. So God created us in his image. God says, let us make mankind in, in our image, in our likeness. What is it? Why is it R? It's R because it, God is, is three in one. Now, we don't have three different gods. We don't have one God in three different modes or versions. We have one God who has been eternally existent as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, God has always had friends, and he's had a perfect friendship in perfect harmony. That God has never been alone. He's never been lonely. That's one of the things God has never experienced. He's never experienced loneliness outside of when Jesus came to this earth and experienced loneliness in being separated from the Father and as, as a human being, the Son, the second person in the Trinity, the Son, coming down in the form of Jesus Christ. So God didn't create anything out of a sense of need, out of a sense of loneliness. God created 
everything out of this abundance of love found within his community. So we have a relational God, and we've been created as relational people. And so it says seven times that God creates everything good. And he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he ends with saying, it's very good. So God made everything very good. But then there's one thing that he says is not good, that God says is not good. And it's not good for man to be alone. And so Adam, he creates Eve for Adam so that Adam might have somebody with him and they might be co-laborers and they might be, be people that are working together to harness the potential of the earth and be able to subdue it and, and create all sorts of amazing things out of the earth. And that's the picture that's left us until Genesis 3 when the serpent representing Satan tricks Adam and Eve into eating from the fruit of the, of the tree of good, of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it wasn't just that they would know good and evil. It's that they would be able to decide what is good and what is evil apart from God. They'd be able to judge for themselves what is good and what is evil. And with this came selfishness, that we could decide what is good for me is, is what, what I believe is good and what I want to be good. And so I'll call something good even if God calls it bad. And then that selfishness in me is what struggles against relationships. Because in, in our sin, in our selfishness, relationship with God and with each other was broken. And so we were made after this relational God. And so there's a struggle between spirit and sin inside each and every one of us. And what do we do with that? Relationships are the source of joy, and yet we struggle in our spirits with sin. And so either we bring sin into our friendships and that breaks the friendship apart or causes rifts between us or we don't really go deep into a friendship because if they knew who we really were, they wouldn't accept us. And our ego stops us from being vulnerable and developing a deeper friendship with people. And, and so some people say, hey, okay, well, relationships are the source of joy, so friendship is the answer. And I would say that's, that's partially true. It's partially true that friendship is the answer. Because friendship, a lot of times, is based on two things. One, it's based on closeness or convenience. And we, anybody here ever looked back at their high school yearbook? Uh, that has not just graduated from high school, that's been out of high school for a little time, a little bit of time. You look back and you're like, you're like, it says, oh, you know, best friends forever. And, you know, hey, I hope to see you over the summer. And, man, I'm going to miss you. And it, we, we had a great time together. And then you look back at these pictures and you're like, who was that? Like, I don't remember. Like, who? I can't place who that person was. Why? You were close because you were close. You were close because of your proximity to each other. But when that proximity, when that closeness was taken away, the closeness of the friendship died too. The other reason might be for your commonality, that you're, you're either closeness or your commonality. You're, you have something in common. You like the same band. You like the same, you know, craft. You like the same, you know, I don't know, music. You like the same movies, whatever. You had, you had some kind of um, bond around something that you shared in common. And when those things are taken away, when your closeness to the commonality is taken away, 
then the relationship begins to dwindle, so it either is gone or it's so little that it's meaningless. So what is the answer to all this? We have this epidemic of loneliness and this struggle with our, our, between our spirit and our sin, and we, we try friendships, but they never quite deal. Well, well the biblical answer, what we're going to talk about today, is gospel partnership. That gospel partnership. And in Philippians 1, it, it says... Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. There's our key verse. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it, on to, to, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Philippians is a letter of joy. Paul talks about joy. Well, Philippians is, is a letter of joy. He, it's, joy, or some derivative of the word thereof, is mentioned 16 times in the book of, of Philippians. And Philippians is one of the most joy-filled book, if not the most joy-filled book in the entire New Testament, uh, out, of, out of only just four chapters. And, and Paul, where did he get this kind of joy from? How did Paul get this kind of joy? Because l- Paul did not have the typical things that we would think are in- enjoyable. You know, he, he didn't have people. He had no wife. He had no kids. His friends weren't around when he wrote this letter, so he didn't have people. He had no, no, um, no place. This wasn't his country. He was far from, from the, you know, Israel, from the Jewish lands, and he was where all of his, his, other, his people were. And Paul called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, and so he didn't have his people. And most importantly, and especially, he didn't have position. He was sitting in prison facing a death sentence. At this time, he didn't have any of the things that we could say that joy could come out of his situation. But there's one thing that Paul did have. Paul did have a perspective. A perspective built from a presence encountering Jesus. It was a perspective that was formed in his, through his time spent, his present, the presence in the presence of Jesus Christ. And out of that, came a partnership with other people. It was a presence, a, a, a perspective, and a partnership that Paul had. And those are the three things that we're going to start with, that we're going to talk about. And first, that Paul had a, a, a presence with, with Jesus. Paul had a presence with Jesus. He spent time focusing and getting to know Jesus and this presence was formed through th- three things. First, it was formed through the realities of life. You know, I once was, was driving from Silverdale to Tacoma. And as I was driving to Tacoma, I was driving along a stretch. I think it was the 16. It turns into the 3. But I was driving along the stretch. And it was after I got off work. So it was a little bit later. But there was nobody on the road because I think it was probably like 7 o'clock. It was summertime or springtime, kind of like now. So it stays l- light later. And I'm driving along this road where there's nobody in sight, like there's nobody around. And I'm driving and all of a sudden my car starts like sputtering 
and then just like I pull along the side of the road and it dies. And I'm like, what's going on? And I could have panicked at this point. And I think a lot of us would have panicked. But there was a sense that the peace of God overcame me there. And I didn't panic. I didn't worry about it. I just got out of the car and I was thankful to be alive. I was thankful that I had a car, even even if it was broken down. I was thankful that I had a a family. I was thankful that I had a, a house that I could go back to, that I had a job that I was coming from. And I got out of the car, and luckily my car had, had not broken down too far from an exit. And so I walked off the exit and found that there was a car repair shop off the exit. So I went back to my car, put my car in neutral, and then opened, did one of those things where I opened the door, and I was like holding the steering wheel with one hand. I don't know if my wife knows this story. Um, <laughs> and I was like pushing the car down the exit, and then I like got in and the exit was kind of downhill so I jumped in my car and just like rode the downhill and coasted long far enough that I could actually get up into the car repair shop parked it there called a friend who came because my I think my wife was busy or she couldn't come or something so my friend came picked me up and now this is like I would say a little bit past Bremerton all the way from Tacoma so it's not an easy drive so my friend came picked me up brought me back home. The next morning, I called the car repair shop. They fixed my car, and then my wife, I think, was able to drive me there, and I was able to get in my car. My car was fixed, and everything was taken care of. Now, I didn't panic. I didn't freak out. I just calmly took care of the situation, and I believe that God was really working in my life right there, saying, Josh, this is what it's like to really trust me, to, ha- to be in my presence, that I, I, I prayed to God, God, help me take care of this situation. And then I just walked in the situation, having all faith that God was going to move, and he did. I was, I was, it was lucky, I would say by providence, really, that I had bro- broken down not too far from a car repair shop, that my friend happened to be available, that my wife could help me, all of these different things that, that it wasn't too much to repair that, that, the car. So all of those things really, really helped. But I think God was preparing me for another encounter that I would have where I ended up getting really, really sick. And I got actually two severe pneumonias. And to make a long story short, I was in a coma for two weeks. And I was in the hospital for a month um, and, going, and through this time. And uh, it was in that time when I came out of my coma. Now, I was, I was on a ventilator and I, had a, I was breathing through my throat because I had a hole in my throat, and I, had, I, I couldn't eat, I couldn't breathe by myself, I couldn't talk, I couldn't walk, I'd lost 30 pounds of, of pretty much of muscle, so I couldn't hold myself up, and, but it was in that time when I couldn't do any of those things, if I was to say one of the moments of my life where I had the most peace and the most joy, it was then, right after I came out of a coma, I didn't know how, I, I was on kidney dialysis. I didn't know if I was going to be on ki- kidney dialysis forever. I, I had none, no idea about any of these things. I didn't know where my health was going to be. But one thing I had is I had a perspective. Because it was during that time that there was so much prayer over me. And there was time that I was in prayer. And it, that prayer in the presence of God changed my perspective. And, and I think when we continue living in that, we live in the grace of God. And Paul talks about that in Philippians. He says in verse 2, 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace, that unmerited favor, that, that, that blessing that we didn't earn comes from God. It's in his presence. And so as we experience and we live in his presence, we begin to, begin to experience that grace. But most of us, we want grace a lot of times without repentance. See, we want to repent. We need to repent. Repentance is just to make a U-turn to say, I'm going the wrong way. God, forgive me. I need to turn and go the right way and experience your grace. That's what happens when we, when we repent we, we turn and experience God's grace because we, we want God's grace. Like we want the blessings. God, help me with my house. Help me with this relationship. Help me with my finances. Help me with my car. We want the grace, the, the unearned favor, the, the, un, the, the blessings we didn't deserve, we didn't earn. But we also, God requires repentance because God is not just a God of love. He's a God of justice too, And so he doesn't want to enable us in our sin. So we've got to repent. We've got to turn around and say, God, I'm not going the right way. And and then we begin to experience grace, God's grace. And that grace then leads us into a peace. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that grace, when we repent and we begin to follow after God and change our hearts and we begin to experience his grace, that grace then leads us into peace. Now, this is not a peace just as in the absence of violence. This is a peace as in everything is working well together in our life, that we're beginning to follow God, and things are beginning to work well in our lives. And as we experience that, that leads us into rest. That We, 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 we go through repentance. Repentance and that repentance, things we begin to follow God, things begin to work better in our life, and it begins to lead into rest. And it's in those things that we, that in the presence of God, that, that the, our perspective is formed because we begin to trust God and say, God, I believe your way is better. God, I believe you are in control. And so as we experience things, whether it's something as, as simple, which is not really simple, as our car breaking down, to the, our very lives, that we begin to trust God, that God, you are the one. It's all through you that every good and perfect gift happens, God. So I'm going to trust you no matter what. And so we, our perspective is formed in a presence with God. And so that perspective comes out. And the perspective is not based on our predicament. It's not based on, on our emotions, how we feel. You see, so many times we look at our situation and say our situation, our joy comes from our situation. But God's not as concerned about your situation as he's concerned about your soul. Because how could Paul write a letter that's so joyful based on his situation? I mean, he's sitting there in prison with a death sentence. Everybody that he loves and cares for is far from him. He's writing this to people that are his close friends, and he's saying, hey, send somebody to me that, that they, that they can, can be with me. Paul is alone in this situation, and he's around people that are only hostile to him. But yet here he can write this letter that what he's doing is actually helping to, to advance the gospel. Paul says in Philippians one twelve. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So what's this perspective that, that Paul has? 
It's a, it's a perspective that it's not about his predicament. It's not about his situation or his circumstances. His, his perspective is formed in the fact that he has a purpose. That Paul realizes that God has a calling, has a purpose on his life to preach the gospel. And he's seen the forward progress of the gospel. And he's, as he's seen that, he has joy coming out of his life because he knows that lives are being changed, that God is using him to see lives changed because of what is he, he's doing. And not only that now, he's seen that the people's lives who he, he had changed, that they're now changing people's lives. And so Paul has joy in this because he believes that God is moving and he sees God's moving. And so that's his perspective. It's a perspective of purpose in his life. That he has a perspective of purpose. But more than that, he also has a perspective of the person of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God is doing something in you. And you see, sometimes in our life, we'll go through a hard chapter in our life. And it's a really hard chapter in our life, and we're like, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. It, is this going to end well? Well, I think some of us, sometimes we ask when we're in that situation, God, have you given up on me? Has God given up on me? And Because uh, I'm going through this really hard chapter in my life. But you see, you've got to know that you didn't start it. He who began a good work will see it through to completion. In other words, you also don't, won't finish it. Your job is just to continue to walk and play your part in the story because you know that even though the chapter is hard, the ending of your book, of the book of your life, is going to be good. Why? Because you know the author, the author of life itself, who has all authority because he's the author to be able to produce an amazing story in your life. That if you would follow him, you would know that he is the one that can write a better story in your life. So many of us are trying to write our own stories. So many of us don't even know our own story. And each and every day, we're writing a little chapter to that book, but we've never bothered to look back and see the hand of God that's been in our lives since before we were born. God said, I formed you in the womb, and I knew you. In other words, he knew who you are. He formed you. He had a purpose for you. He didn't leave you when you were born. He didn't say, you're born Goodbye, now, now figure it out yourself. He said he's a good God that loves you, is imminent, is incarnational, all those good seminary words. And he's involved in your life. He loves you. So many of us, if we just took the time to look back at our story, to say, God, you've been involved. I can see through a new perspective now, God, that you are involved in my story and so Paul was, had this perspective of purpose. He had this perspective that God was working in him, that he was building a greater character in him. And no matter where he was, even in jail, they couldn't take that away because it wasn't based on his place or on his position or on the people around him. It was based on his purpose and it was based on the person of Jesus Christ and what Jesus was doing in him. And that perspective led to a gospel partnership. It led to the gospel partnership that he had with these Philippians. Now, a gospel partnership is based on the fact that, hey, we are both followers of Jesus, 
and we're both going to come together and do life together in Jesus. And it's different from friendship because friendship doesn't deal with sin. That's the problem with friendship. Friendship is great, but friendship in and of itself doesn't deal with sin, the sin inside each and every one of us. So more than friendship, we need as the base, as the core of our friendships, gospel partnership. That we would be partners together through life. So what does this look like? This, I have the ABCDs of gospel partnership. It starts with accountability. That we would be open and vulnerable with each other. That we would be real with each other through the struggles of life. In Proverbs it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In other words, I will sharpen you. I will help you become better in your life. That if, if you would be open with me and, and, and I'm open with you, that we're going to point each other higher when we fail. Sin cannot continue in, in, when, it, when it's caught in the cauldron of, of accountability. That accountability just cooks the sin right out of you. That's the iron sharpening iron. That when you get in there, you know, a silversmith, he knows when silver is pure, when silver is right, when it has his reflection in it. And that's what God says to you. He says, I want you to go through the fires of accountability, even though it's hard, because it's through that that you'll be purified, and yet you'll become more of the person I created you to be. And that then leads into belonging, that we would have belonging in our life because it's true belonging when we can be real with each other. And that leads into care, that we would care for each other just like Jesus cared for us. We have a common example we can look to to say, hey, Jesus cared for us, so this is who we're going to look to for our care. And this is how we're going to care for each other. And we're going to look to for direction too. That as when we have a gospel partnership, we have a common Bible, a common book of wisdom that we can turn to and say, hey, here, I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go in my life. Well, we can point each other to the Bible as the basis for the direction of our life. So that is the ABCDs of gospel partnership. Now, Paul had this gospel partnership with these people. How do we find a gospel partnership like, like Paul had? Well, I want you to understand that this wasn't easy for Paul to create this kind of gospel partnership with the Philippians. Um, because so many of us you say, well, I don't have time for friendship, or you know, I haven't found my people yet, whatever that means to you. Well, well listen to this. I, I did some more study, and, and through the book of uh, Acts 16, that's really how the book of, of where the Philippian church was founded. And it says that, that Paul was praying and Paul wanted to go to Asia and, and Bithynia, and he wanted to go there to preach the gospel, but he said the Holy Spirit stopped him from going to these places, so he went to this place called Troas, which is like kind of in modern-day Turkey. And there he had a vision, and, and it was a dream, and there was a man from Macedonia that was asking Paul to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. Well, Macedonia is like modern-day Greece. And so Paul went up to Macedonia, and it was on his way through Macedonia that he stopped at Philippi and preached and started the Philippian church. So in other words, it started in the place where he didn't want to go. Paul never wanted to go to Philippi. They weren't his, that wasn't the place he wanted. They weren't his people. You know, a synagogue, they need 10 Jews to start a synagogue. And there wasn't a synagogue there. There was no archaeological evidence that there was ever any Jews in Philippi at this time. 
And then um, it wasn't his position. He was going to a place where it was a Roman uh, area. And so they would have had a, a state religion. And they would have been hostile to, Jew- to Judaism. They would have been hostile, especially hostile to Christianity. So Paul wasn't going to a place that was going to respect him. He wasn't going to a place that was going to where any of his people were. He wasn't even going to a place that he wanted to go. But watch this. That it's sometimes the place that you don't want to go that can become the place of your greatest support, friendship, and joy. Sometimes we say, oh, I don't want to do this. But God has a greater plan. And you don't want to go, but God wants you to go there because he has a greater plan for what he wants to work in your life. You see, Paul was able to experience a gospel partnership because he realized that it's with these people that God would continue to work his purpose of preaching. And God believed that, that, that Paul, God, Paul believed that God had a purpose on his life. And so oftentimes we want more. We want more things in our life. And we get so wound up that we are like a wire being formed into a spring. And at some point we get so busy, I want all these things that we just pop off and we explode. Because we've, we've been wound up so much. Well, God wants to work in your life. But sometimes it means letting go of some things. Because ultimately when you say, I don't have time for that, or I'm too busy for that. What you're making is a statement of values. That this is more important than that. Sometimes we need to look back at our priorities again and say, is that really what's the most important thing in my life? Or has God called me to gospel partnership that I don't have in my life that I need to create? Because that really is the source of joy in our life. I believe that that Paul shows us what gospel partnership is. And that's, that's an important thing. Because he showed us a joy that cannot be contained with, in a jail. He showed us a joy that cannot be contained by a grave. We showed us a joy that would break through the grave that, back over 2,000 years ago and can break through the grave of our hearts today to break through that ceiling, that break through that hardness of heart, break through that apathy and that bitterness and so many things that keep us back from living a life of true joy and true passion in Jesus. That we would be able to step out and experience what God has called us to live because of a gospel partnership that's at the beginning of our life. Maybe for you today, that gospel partnership is, means focusing on the gospel. Maybe you haven't accepted Jesus yet. And you said, okay, Josh, I want to take that simple step and just come forward today and, and, and pray for, to accept Jesus. And I pray that that would be you. And I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come up here on the left and, and right. And, and maybe that's you. And, and, and it's kind of scary to come forward and be prayed for. But guess what? It, it's a lot scarier to live life without Jesus. And so we are all for you here. So if, I'm going to pray. And when I'm praying, you can come forward to receive Jesus. And, and we're just going to close the service. But if, so maybe, maybe you have received Jesus. And, and maybe it's not the gospel piece. You've got the gospel piece, but you don't have the partnership piece. Well, and you've been coming to church here and sitting down and you enjoy my awesome messages. Um, <laughs> and you enjoy the amazing worship that we have. But you've never taken the step to get connected. And I would just pray that you would come forward. 
that God would open your eyes to the step to, to get connected and to show you what the next step is. And, and you would maybe even mark that down on your connection card. And so maybe that's you. You say, yes, I want this gospel partnership, but I have no idea how to do that. And that's you, and you want to come forward, and you want to receive prayer. Either way, we're gonna, I'm going to pray for you, and uh, we're going to close. And uh, these people are going to stay up here, and they're going to be ready to pray for you as, as you come forward. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for this word, Lord. I pray, God, that it has touched our hearts, that it's broken through all of the lies. It's broken through all of the apathy. It's broken through all of the resentment and bitterness. It's broken through all of the hurt and all of the things that, that in our heart that stop you from receiving, stop your word from receiving life, from being fruitful in our lives, God. God, I pray that you would help us to draw closer to you as we also draw closer to each other that we would have a real gospel partnership in our lives to know, God, that you are not a God who wants us to live a life without joy. You're not a God who wants us to live a life devoid of of good things, but you want us to to know that that real joy comes not in our material stuff, not in our situation, but in in your presence and in the presence of others, God, that, that also know you. So Lord, I pray that if there's some people that this has touched and they feel like, yes, one of those things I mentioned, that that's me, that they would have the courage to come forward just to receive a simple prayer today, God. And God, I pray for those who are like, you know what, I, I feel like I have some of those things, that they would grow in those things. And that would, they would find other ways that they need, God, because we know we all need you, Lord. So I thank you for your presence in our life. And I pray, Lord, that you would be the one to show us how good of a God you are in your son's precious and heavenly name, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen.